Welcome to Movies Are Life. I'm your host, Nathan Chandler. Although I'm not sick, in honor of today's film, I'm dressed in pajamas, sitting in a bed, and ready to indulge into the fairy tale that is The Princess Bride. I'm welcoming in Michael Andrus, and just in case you're wondering, he is joining me virtually and not sitting by my bedside. So, But uh, how are you doing, Michael? I'm doing great, Nathan. Thanks for having me back on. <laughs> Yeah, uh, no, thanks. Uh, thanks for joining me. Uh, last time you were on to the on the podcast back in October, uh, we discussed the film Michael Clayton, and that was a lot of fun revisiting that film because at that time that was only the second time I had seen it. Uh, There's quite a few years between the two viewings, and so I can only honestly tell you that with this <laughs> with this film, I've seen it many, many, many times. I couldn't even fathom a number um just based on my childhood alone but uh it's been a while since i've watched it so it was really fun to go uh down memory lane with this one uh so the princess bride comes in at number 19 on the ringers list of the 50 best rom-coms we will dig into this one a, a bit but um I, I don't know about you but i had never i had never thought of the princess bride as a romantic comedy i, I think my brain's always thought of it as a 80s film or a family film but um, before we dive into the fire swamp, a little background on this film. Uh, the Princess Bride is a 1987 American fantasy adventure comedy film directed and co-produced by Rob Reiner and starring Carrie Elwes, Robin Wright, Mandy Patinkin, Chris Sarandon, Wallace Shawn, Andre the Giant, and Christopher Guest. Adapted by William Goldman from his 1973 novel, The Same Name, it tells the story of a swashbuckling farmhand named Wesley, accompanied by companions befriended along the way, who must rescue his true love, Princess Buttercup, from the odious Prince Humperdinck. The film preserves the novel's metafictional narrative style by presenting the story as a book being read by a grandfather to his sick grandson. The film was first released in the United States on September 25th, 1987 and was well received by critics at the time after only having modest success at the box office at first it has over time become a cult film and it's been considered as one of the best films of the 1980s michael you quickly volunteered to <laughs> have a discussion about this film so i'm assuming you kind of liked it what's your personal history with this film like you this movie I just associate with my childhood because of how many times we watched it. It was my sister's probably favorite movie growing up. And so it, we would just play it on VHS over and over and over and over again. And so when um, you sent out the list and it was like, that just was a natural selection for me. It was like, I could talk about this movie for so long. There's so many different details to it. And, um, it was just fun to, to rewatch it this week and revisit so many things from my childhood, but also now as a parent watching it and, and looking at it from the grandfather's perspective, it just <laughs> kind of had like a different weight to it. Um, and at the end, like I, I teared up, which I never did as a kid. Um, tears were not something I associated with this. And there's also just so much more humor that I think you miss as a child that rewatching it as an adult just makes it uh, so much more fantastic. Yeah, it's so funny that you said that. One, uh, I, I almost had the complete same experience as you did this time around. Uh, it's pretty bad if we're starting to relate to the grandfather one. Yeah, you know. <laughs> but two, I mean, I did watch it on VHS, so that that feels a little <laughs> bit. 
but uh to the last scene man you hit it i was gonna kind of save it to the end but uh you brought it up but same for me like uh, the power of his last line, uh, you know, that you hear throughout the whole film, you know, as you wish, I mean, it really hit me. Like it just was a perfect summation of, I thought that why, yeah, obviously I love movie. I love storytelling, but just the impact that storytelling can do make just an individual feel, feel, but more importantly, and I'm probably thinking a little too deeply here, what I like about this podcast, it's like, how stories bring people together to talk about things and you know the weight of that moment i was really shocked <laughs> i'm with you i was like oh wow th that was that was unexpected <laughs> and so yeah, no one of the things i i noted on on watching it is you know at the beginning the grandfather is like well my dad's dad read my dad this story and then my dad read it to me and now i'm reading it to you and i i think that's right in line with what you're saying of the power that story has from one generation to the next that you know just helps shape our own personal identities and the narratives that you know we we cling to for comfort or hope uh or encouragement you know that that just link us with past generations and that you know we hope that on our best days we're passing on to our own kids yeah and i, I think it's uh it speaks to the uh, i think the power of the screenplay because all that said this is not a movie that's hammering that message you know into you it, right. you know it's 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 very simple but you know very very resonant for sure so i i know your kids are on the younger end so have they seen have they seen this movie they have not seen it yet yeah. and i and re-watching it i was like well, why is that like you know so my son is gonna turn seven here in a couple months it's like i'm pretty sure by the time i was six or seven i'd seen this movie um but there's also there were also moments, you know, like most notably the fire swamp where I was like, oh, I also was scared out of my mind um, when the rodent of unusual size showed up. And then like we were all trained as kids to be so fearful of quicksand and like she just, you know, falls straight into, you know, a deep pile of it. And so it's like, I don't know, maybe maybe I should wait a little bit longer. What about you? Have your girls seen it? So they had, and so that's what I was trying to kind of remember when, but it's been a while, you know? Yeah. And so even when I, now Hayden probably hasn't, who's six right now, but Hallie, I know certainly has. And it, cause I even brought it up to her that I was watching this and she had a recollection of it. But I, I think if we watched it again, um, I, I, I think, I, I think she'd be into it. And the, the, obviously when she first watched it, there's a lot of, scenes that kind of went over her head but i do remember when we watched it i did kind of skip a couple scenes really fast like even that one quick scene with the eels in the water and stuff like that because i remember that moment where the eel jumped up uh jumped out at princess buttercup i remember that as a kid like frightening you know frightening me but you know it's kind of like we we grew up on these type of movies right kind of like we uh the my joke is always that, you know, 80s PG is not the PG of today, you oh, know? And I mean, I, 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 maybe, maybe you are, but I, I'm not personally scarred for the, you know, <laughs> from these moments and stuff. But. Yeah. I, don't, I wouldn't say I'm scarred. I would say that the, the screaming eel scene definitely has shaped my understanding of eels period, regardless <laughs> of how many nature shows I've watched. I just assume that, they're all like the eels uh, from this movie. And and so that's, I don't know if that's a, a lasting legacy that I really want to, you know, put out there, but I guess I have now. 
So yeah. Uh, so is and this is something we'll you know with the rankings at the end we'll kind of actually uh, analyze this a little bit more. But just kind of on the surface level, is this a movie that you ever thought as a romantic comedy? No. And even rewatching it, I was kind of astounded at how easily it shifts from like buddy comedy mm -hmm. rather than romantic comedy. But then there's also like the revenge element to it. And I think I always thought of this movie more as like action revenge rather than romantic comedy. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. But then, you know, when you take a big focus on it, I mean, it's like, I mean, it's, it's a very romantic film as far as, <laughs> The, the whole thing is about the pursuit of love. And then also, I mean, it is flat out just a hilarious movie. So it's kind of like, I'm like, oh, okay. I never thought about that. But uh, Whitney, you know, my wife, she jokingly said, yeah, of course it is. It's just that you're a guy and that's not how you framed it as when you were, <laughs> when you were a kid, you know? Fair. And uh, yeah, that's fair. Cause the, the things that I think about with this film, you know, are the, the sword fights and the kind of uh, some of the slapsticky type of humor, you know, that's throughout this movie. Um, so uh, I, I was wondering, I don't know about you. Um, I, I've of course seen this movie many times, but rewatching it this time, it particularly hit me that like, I don't think I'd seen the full film as many times as, as I've seen the first half of the film. Uh, I, I don't know about you. I think as a kid, for whatever reason, uh, there's a certain like halfway point. I think when uh, when Wesley gets a uh, finally gets captured or whatever, that I didn't watch quite as much for whatever reason. I don't know. I don't know if that was your experience at all. I was kind of taken at how fast the first half of the movie goes. Yeah. Like there's just no fat. It's just straight scene, 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 scene. And then, yeah, it, the movie does kind of slow down a little bit once he's captured. But I think I'm with you that my memories from this film are definitely the first half because it's, you know, the three trials he had that Wesley has with um, the, the sword fight and then the wrestling and then the wine scene. And then, you know, there's the, the forest. And then, yeah, it's, it's, it's almost two different movies um from that that standpoint so yeah i i think i've seen the whole film gazillions of times but my memories are stuck really in the in the first half of it yeah yeah for sure so uh i mean there's a I, for me there's a lot to like about this movie but in particular I, the cast i think is just amazing and stellar uh maybe part of it is like we probably like like a lot of these actors in the you know other things but uh do, do you like the cast that's assembled here I, I love the cast you know this was fred savage and i didn't realize this until i, I just looked it up but fred savage hadn't done the wonder years yet oh okay kind of kind of blew my mind and this you know was robin wright's really breakout performance i think she'd maybe been in one movie yeah before this you know they they have billy crystal doing the cameo when it's you know in that that weird stretch in the 80s when snl is kind of weird and falling mm -hmm. apart but he's like the only thing holding it together and then he pops up in this movie um you know as a kid obviously that none of those things you know really resonated with me other than fred savage because of the wonder years but you know this introduced me unknowingly to mandy patinkin and mm -hmm. christopher guest you know both 
you know, actors that, that I've enjoyed their works, you know, in the decades uh, since. And so, um, and in a weird way, I think this probably ruined Chris Sarandon's career because he's just so unlikable in this movie. Like, I don't know that I saw him in anything else ever again, you know? And yeah. so, um, no, it's just an outstanding cast. And, and one of those things that does feel like a relic of the 80s and 90s where they could just assemble like a group of relatively unknown people and it just produces an absolute gem. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. Um, it's funny. You, you brought up Fred Savage and I, I just want to, in particular, I, I remember my aunt always saying this, but I have gotten the Fred Savage comparison all my life. Oh, I can see that. Yeah. And like as a kid <laughs> and even a little, a little bit now. So anyway, uh, I know he's kind of been in a little hot water, like in the news kind of lately. And so maybe uh, I should distance myself from that <laughs> a little bit more. But anyway, I just that immediately like him popping up on the screen. My aunt always used to talk about how she thought you know, and we're, we're kind of roughly around the same age. So it always, always kind of tracked. Yeah, bit, I can, I can see that. I was, I also remember being insanely jealous of how cool his room was in the movie. Yeah. It's like, man, he has his own TV and video games and his mom lets him keep Cheetos on the headboard. <laughs> and just like, I can remember being like, what a cool room. Yeah, that that Cheetos bag always stuck out to me for whatever reason, just kind of the old school label and, uh, you know, but also, yeah, it, it's, I mean, my kids do this all the time. We have like chip clips and all that kind of stuff in the pantry, but if they go in for a bag of chips, there's no way that clip is going back onto that bag. <laughs> it's just, it's just wide open, you know? Yep, so absolutely. Uh, but they, they, uh, they scarf them down. So I never have to really actually worry about them. Uh, never actually <laughs> still. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, uh, I think the, I think the cast is wonderful. It's funny. I don't think I saw, uh, I remember when Homeland came on on Showtime and I started it and I had never like, when somebody told me that Mandy Patinkin was, you know, <laughs> from the princess bride, it like blew my mind. Cause I hadn't seen right. much of his stuff between those two points. And so in that uh, him being on Homeland kind of started this kind of new wave of like, uh, stuff that he was in a couple of movies and we're a big fan of the show, the good fight. And he, uh, he, he plays a prominent role in one of the seasons. He's so good in it, but yeah, it's, it's kind of fun to see his younger self and yeah. Um, absolutely. Yeah. And I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, especially <laughs> I grew up watching, a uh, wrestling. And so the Andre, Andre, the giant component of it, like always was interesting, even though to this day, it's so hard to understand. <laughs> yeah, there movie. were multiple scenes where I was just like, I have no clue what, what you just said. Like, <laughs> Okay, sure. <laughs> yeah, that that was always kind of like his uh, hindrance, so to speak, you know, a little bit. But like, particularly when he was in this movie, was like when his health wasn't the best. So right. I don't, I, I don't, th I don't think that uh, helped things <laughs> very much. Did you see the the Andre the Giant documentary? That came yeah, out? it was wonderful. Yeah, it was yeah, really good. So many stories that they told in that kept coming to mind as I was watching. Just, just as you pointed out, recalling like where he was in his career. And like just his various appetites when he wasn't performing um, yeah. and, and how that impacted all of this. And so um, having that, you know, again, as an adult watching it and knowing some more of the context just 
added a, a nice new layer to uh, to his performance and to the film. In the series, I, I kind of was thinking, you know, sometimes there's a lot of things in movies that stand out, like as far as props or setting. Was there was there anything that like you remember? You kind of mentioned the eels. That was like something that definitely sticks out. I mean, the the rodents of the unusual size as well. Is there yeah, any other that, kind of that stuck out? Um, as an adult, just props to the wig wear that is happening in this film. Um, I don't, I mean, I'm assuming a lot, there's a lot of wigs going on in here, but, but that was pretty incredible. Uh, the six finger glove guy. Um, so when we get the first shot of the six fingers in the glove, um, that definitely stuck with me. Um, like I mentioned before that just the grandson's room, you know, just has always stuck with me. Um, how cool the the Dread Pirate Roberts outfit is. Just oh, yeah. all black with the mask and, you know, uh, just thinking back then, like, I definitely had friends. I was never cool enough to do it, but I had friends who went as the Dread Pirate Roberts for Halloween. Um, so, yeah, those are things that, that that definitely stuck out, both from childhood viewing and and now. Yeah, um, I like uh, Christopher Guest uh, in this role, but I, I also like there's just so many things in this uh, movie that exist, but don't ever really have an explanation. And the six finger yeah. glove being one, like we clearly, you know, <laughs> the six finger man, but like nobody ever talks about that, that, you know, that enhanced his sword fighting abilities or it's just like it's almost it's almost plays as a you know another punchline where we get the one shot of it but i just like how it exists but it's almost right. like i think with a lot of like books which obviously this movie is trying to evoke your mind kind of fills in lots of gaps and i think uh i think the screenplay does a good job of those sort of things like you know the the cliffs of the cliffs of insanity you know like and it really just lets that lie. You know, you don't get right. a background of like why it's called that, but that well, name, that name alone evokes danger. And, you know, yeah. well, the, one of the things that struck me in watching it this go around is how much real world stuff there is, but then how much really is just fantasy storytelling. And so like they make so many geographical references, like, Spaniard and the original Dread Pirate Roberts living in Patagonia and retirement and Fezzik being found in Greenland. And so it's like, but at the same time, there's also these two kingdoms and one of them has giant rats and like a fire swamp. And that just kind of coexists in the same, same world as, is the real world or like, I never noticed this as a kid, but at the top of the cliffs of insanity is like this ruin. And it's like, how did, how did that happen? Like that feels like the <laughs> most, you know, defensible spot possible. And yet there's now these, these ruins. And so, yeah, it's, it's just funny that so many things as, as I was watching, I wrote questions on like, wait, but why, what, why, why did they not explain this? And, is that am I supposed to believe this is happening on like current earth or is this like a different version mm -hmm. of earth or like what, what's happening here? Yeah. Uh, and I, I can't, uh, I kind of wrestle with it, whether or not this was just, uh, uh, 
like let's say if this movie was made today uh a lot of the sets and everything i don't know if it's just a sign of the times that it was made where i mean it's very much a lot of the stuff feel it feels like a studio uh you know it feels it feels like set pieces but I also think it plays into the imagination of this world that you like mentioned. Um, and so I don't know how much of that is on purpose <laughs> or because that's just how movies in the eighties had to be made. But I, I like the, there's something about the, uh, I don't know. It, it It's not altogether fake, but you know, it, it kind of adds to that imagination uh, aspect to it. Do you, do you know yeah, what I'm, I think? I don't I don't know that this movie would be better if they remade it now. Like I think some of the campiness that comes with a 1987 movie is what makes the movie as as you were describing like now, you know, I think about the eel scene or um the the rodents of unusual size scene and just like is that better with CGI or <laughs> is it better because we have these puppets which just make it seem, you know, so fantastical and and bizarre and i i'm glad this is one that that the studios have not circled back to to remake and um i don't, I don't know why that is because they've remade so many other much beloved um pieces of ip you know from our childhood but uh, i'm glad it's it's not been touched yeah yeah i mean and even with the like uh torture device you know it's just kind of it's like they're not trying to a lot of it is just they let the mind feel like as i mentioned fill in the gaps like <laughs> water comes down a chute and something you know yeah, like what, just, is, what is actually happening there is it just right. like those few points of his body he's just experiencing high water pressure like <laughs> is that yeah torture? you know what is yeah i think yeah. it's best not knowing how some of the mechanics of this yeah. stuff work. But, you know, as a kid, I, you know, that's kind of part of the innocence. You don't think as adults, we, you know, dive into that all like, wait, how would that work? All that, all, you know, all the kid knows is that this device hurts and it sucks life out of them, life out right. of them. And so anyway, I, I mean, I like that because it does play, it, it's easy, it's easy to become even as an adult to watch this movie as a child and kind of, you know, delight in those things, so to speak, but absolutely. Yeah. Um, so I, I mean, I think this, this one, uh, especially uh, a lot of romantic comedies have, uh, amazing quotes, but I mean, this, this one might <laughs> be on the top of the list just from some of the quotes alone, but, uh, what's, what's one of your favorites? I mean, I wrote down so many, um, as I was watching that are just such great lines. Uh, you know, when they're talking about the Dread Pirate Roberts and Wesley being killed by him, and then the grandson says, murdered by pirates is good. Like, it's just, <laughs> it's, it's hilarious. But it's just like a toss-away line. Um, I love the line as as Vizzini and Fezzik and Ingo are sit, beginning to sail away, and, and Fezzik has just been in his rhyming mode. And Vizzini says, no more rhymes now. I mean it. And then Fezzik goes, anybody want a peanut? Um, that, that one, that's one from my childhood that I, that I always laughed at, uh, that, that stuck with me. Um, you know, Vizzini's line at, at the scene where they have the poison, uh, you fell for 
one of the most classic blunders. The first is to never get involved in a land war in Asia, but only <laughs> slightly less unknown is this. Never go in against a Sicilian when death is on the line. And then, of course, his, his, his cackles and then falls over yeah. um, dead. There's a few that, that were more poignant that um, I think really do, you know, support the case for this being a romantic uh, comedy. Uh, death cannot stop true love. What it can do is delay it for a while. Um, <laughs> when Wesley says we are men of action, lies do not become us. Um, you know, and, and then, you know, there's just the iconic ones, of course. Uh, love, woo, love uh, is, is a good one. Um, but then I think my favorite for the line from this movie is, of course, hello, my name is Inyo Montoya. You killed my father. Prepare to die. That, yes. that just has to be the best quote uh, of the movie. Yeah. And I can't tell you growing up uh, just as you know, kids and friends and whatever we were make believe thing we were doing that line had to come up almost all the time. And, uh, and just, and then I just love it in the movie, just the, uh, the comeback of just stop saying that <laughs> you <know? Yeah. laughs> so anyway I mean, it's, my, it's, my pick i guess for favorite quote does support whitney's case that we're guys and so of course we didn't see this because i picked the one about revenge but you know as you wish is is pretty uh pretty iconic oh yeah but yeah for sure and i mean it's so simple uh but it just plays into so much of this yeah you know inconceivable of course uh and then um you, you mentioned it uh the 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 priest at the wedding but i have i have an uncle who i i guarantee you <laughs> any wedding you go to he would he would start with marriage <laughs> like every time it's almost like a given you know yeah uh but and then not the greatest quote ever, but we used to always mimic to when uh, Princess Buttercup has the dream, dream sequence and that one uh, lady in the crowd starts heckling her. But yeah, but we, I, I, I think maybe I still do that without thinking sometimes of when I don't like something, it just boo. <laughs> so yeah. Um, oh, what's, what's one of your uh, favorite scenes from this movie? Gosh, there's a couple of them. It's, it's hard to beat the cliffs of insanity and the duel between um, Wesley and Inyo, just the respect they have, you know, I didn't realize this, but there's so many like uh, deep references to fencing techniques and styles that like as a kid just completely went over my head and I don't know anything about fencing. So they pretty much went over my head this time, but at least, at least I noticed. Um, Let's see the Dread Pirate Roberts Wesley reveal uh, in the in the hilltop scene. Um, that's pretty fantastic. Also, just that straight rom com stuff, you know, of uh, reclaiming love, realizing the your love is is right here with you. Um, Fezic as the Dread Pirate Roberts when they're storming the castle. Um, I can remember that scene just as a kid, you know, he this towering figure and he's on fire. Um, and then at the very end, Wesley's clap back to Humperdinck, you know, who wants to duel him and he just insults him just ruthlessly, um, before standing up and raising, raising his sword. But I think I got to go with the cliffs of insanity duel. What about yeah. you? Yeah, no, that that's a good one. Yeah. For me, I, I think it's, 
I mentioned it, it's probably why I was drawn to it as a kid, but that sequence of events of, you know, clips of insanity and then the fight with Andre the giant. And then I always loved that battle of wit scene. I, I just, I thought it was just so funny. You mentioned, you know, the dialogue from, uh, uh, from the two characters there and it's just the, the punch of when he, he dies and kills over. I, I just, I just think it's classic. And it's funny. I did mention if Hadley remembered this film, she, she remembered him as, uh, as, um, the teacher in clueless. Uh, oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. 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 And so I think that's funny that that was like her <laughs> reference point. Uh, but yeah, I, I just, I always like that, uh, battle with scene, but, um, so as a scene, yeah, definitely that one. Um, but I also, I always just like the punchline of when uh, they come across the six finger man in the hallway and all his guards go after him and they get, you know, wiped out really quick and him just turning and just bolting. Right. <laughs> just, that just always, uh, that always made me laugh. It seemed more realistic. And you talked about, I did like enjoying this film, like that whole scene on, on the cliffs and the sword play that happens there, I mean, you're looking at the two actors and like, there's a couple of times where you can tell they throw a stunt person in there. But I mean, those guys are, it, the camera holds on them too. And right. like, I, I was impressed by, I mean, they had to learn. They, they I wonder how much, uh, how many weeks of lessons they had to take <laughs> to get yeah, this fencing I, down. I it's impressive. Part of me was like, was this sound that they added in post-production or were these guys really going at it? But as a kid, I can just being remember being just so raptured by how amazing that that duel was and all of the footwork and, you know, stuff that now it's like, well, that's kind of like the rope when they swings on the mm -hmm. rope and, you know, does the flip. It's like. Well, that's a little gratuitous. But as a kid, I was like, no, that is the coolest. This dude is just a bad mother. Like, it's awesome. <laughs> no better way to intimidate your opponent than by right. swinging on a... <laughs> with some casual gymnastics, you know, really yeah. what's going to seal the deal. Yeah, it's so funny. Yeah, I just... Uh, I it's funny. I had never thought about it, like, watching it as a kid. But it's almost like this movie is this... A romance adventure film kind of mixed with the Marx Brothers movies, uh, which I didn't see till later in life. But I mean, just it's it's very this it's got this old school humor, you know, lots of pratfalls, lots of little one liners and stuff. And so I, I do kind of I, I would like Hallie to watch this again just to see if the humor still strikes the same chord. I mean, uh, it's not a Billy Crystal movie, but obviously Rob Reiner worked with him again with and when Harry met Sally, but it's very much a Billy Crystal type of punchlines and humor and that sort of yeah. thing. So I do I do kind of wonder how that holds up, you know, to you know newer generations. Movie musings. What is your favorite fairy tale or what was your favorite childhood story? Was there something you always came back to? I don't, I don't recall fairy tales being all that prominent in my childhood. Um, I, you know, remember things more like Berenstain bear books or Lyle Lyle crocodile rather than fairy tale or, or fantasy. And so honestly, princess bride might be, you know, kind of the, the signature fairy tale story of my childhood. I mean, we watched all the Disney movies and so we had, you know, the, Snow White and uh, Sleeping Beauty and things like that, but none of the classics. And and I think this is probably 
closer to to those classics and so this this one probably is the fairy tale from my childhood that, <laughs> that stands out the most yeah yeah like you probably a lot of what you know uh what my memory of fairy tales was probably based on what like disney produced to us but there's always that moment in life where you actually go to the original like source material of a fairy tale and you're like oh this is dark yeah. <laughs> you know uh, yeah. and especially in this movie kind of leans into that a little bit in which we talked about but i was trying to i was thinking about that but um a childhood book that i just grew up loving is uh um uh, I'm gonna make sure I get the uh, name right here, but Sideways Stories from Wayside School. Uh, yeah. Did you ever read those books? Yes. But, yeah. But it, I was thinking about that, and I was like, you know, it's it, not a classic fairy tale in that sense, but it, it definitely plays on these kind of just outlandish uh, <laughs> scenarios and stuff. So that was a book I always enjoyed. Uh, so this movie also it made me think about just uh, sick days in general, but like uh, what. Like, do you ever remember being sick as a kid or what that day was like when you had to stay home? Yeah. I mean, these are, this is an iconic sick day movie, like right up there with Ferris Bueller and, and neither, there's not a single sick day in my life that resembled either of these movies, uh, Ferris Bueller or, or <laughs> Princess Bride in terms of the treatment that I got at home. No, I can remember sick days. One, I had to be really sick in order to stay home. Like I can just remember lots of like, nope, you're going to school. Um, but but sick sick days mostly were like saltine crackers, seven up, prices right. Um, <laughs> depending on when in the year it was, there might be some Cubs baseball on uh WGN. <laughs> yep, yep. <laughs> um, you know, and just a lot of laying low. Uh, but then like I can also remember on those days that when I grew up in my, we were in a cul-de-sac and there were just a ton of families with kids. And so when school was over and hearing everybody playing outside and running around, it was like, all of a sudden I got real better real fast because I <laughs> wanted to go outside and play. And mom just being like, nope, you're sick. You have to stay, stay inside. So yeah, my sick days were, were pretty basic. What, what about you? What was your experience like? Yeah, I I don't remember very, very similar to you. I, I think there was almost a sense of like, you know, you kind of had to shut things down if you really were like <laughs> going to stay home, you know. Um, so but always kind of like I, honestly, a movie like The Princess Bride is probably something I would have popped in and like watched or something like that. But you know, it's so different, like recently. Um, you know, I, I don't know if kid, you know, this is becoming the old man podcast, but like uh, saying, well, if kids, we should start one, Nathan. Yeah, no, <laughs> but like, uh, once uh, I'm bringing up Hallie a lot uh, in this, but like, uh, back in the fall, it was one of those, sh she felt real bad the night before, but she had a fever, but she felt fine the next day, but she needed to stay home or whatever. And she still was, you know, she was herself, but, you know, still kind of bound to a couch or whatever. And so different now because uh, school and education is so technology based now that she was still logging in and like, she's just someone who doesn't like to get behind and stuff like that. And she did her schoolwork for the day, just like on a typical sick day. Now I'm sure there's lots of kids who would be like, oh yeah, I'm not turning that computer on or whatever, sure. but it is a lot different. Cause it's like almost, it's almost kind of like if, uh, you have a snow day now or that type of thing. Like now there's such remote type of things that like, I mean, even if I'm feeling bad and I feel like I have 
to be home. I feel like I'll be looking at my phone, looking at work emails and stuff like that. I just don't think you can disconnect both as a child or a, or as an adult, like you used to, <laughs> used to. Oh, for I sure. think that's absolutely true. Absolutely yeah. true. Yeah. But, um, yeah. Uh, yeah, sick saltine crackers for sure, folks. <laughs> <laughs> and for some reason, I always associated we we never kept Seven uh, Up or Sprite in the house. That wasn't even like a soft drink I uh, necessarily loved. But whenever I was sick, for whatever reason, uh, that Sprite was the, th the 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 thing to get. I I don't know why. And I think even when my kids get sick now, that I you know maybe it's a it just hits a spot or something in your throat or something. I don't know why. It's but. it's so funny because I, I love Sprite, but whenever I, like I taste Seven Up, and they you know they taste it's just like nope, this is the one you drink when you're sick, and Sprite's the one when, that you drink <laughs> like when you go to the movies. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's funny. Um, so we talked about some of the uh, intense scenes and uh, creatures from this uh, film. Outside of this film, is there a movie scene or a character that kind of haunted you as a child? Gosh, um, I don't know the name of the character, but there was um, the prince. I think it was Princess and the Frog Muppet adaptation. Okay. And um, there was this giant brown monster who had like a flappy mouth. <clears throat> and he was holding i don't even remember the plot nathan totally but i remembered that the, the prince as the frog was bouncing around you know his kind of dungeon lair and he was trying to smash him with a giant bat and that guy i'm, I'm gonna have to look up his his <laughs> name uh, but that guy always always haunted me as a kid hey and later if you it, it, could you like do a Google search for that and then send it to me? And then it'd be a kind of a fun image to add on our uh, website page. <laughs> yes, absolutely. I, let yes. me see. Like Sweetums was his name. Oh yeah. 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 I remember Sweetums. <laughs> yeah. No, Sweetums uh, was just straight up nightmare fuel for me as a kid. Yeah. I, I was talking the other day with some friends about just, uh, even though I wasn't necessarily into horror movies as a kid at all, but I just remember the horror section of a VHS store and how vivid those covers were. And even though I've never seen uh, ghoulies or critters, those those VHS covers just s totally stick out like in my yeah. brain. And there was something about the I watched Raiders of the Lost Ark a lot as a as a child, and that face melting scene uh, at the end that was something that always kind of like both intrigued intrigued me, but kind of like scared me as well. Yeah, that that one definitely. I think the first couple times, really, all the indie movies like there's oh, you know, Temple of Doom, which I I really don't like much at all, but you know, the melting heart stuff like all of those movies had things that as a kid, you know, kind of stuck with me where it also had that feeling like, I can't believe I'm allowed to watch this. Um, uh -huh. and, and looking back now, I'd be like, I definitely wouldn't let my kids watch the, some of these scenes. Um, but no, mine, mine was much more in, in the, the this is definitely not real, but it's still terrifying realm of the Muppets. <laughs> Jim uh, Jim Henson was a dark fellow. Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, okay. So now it's time to see how this 
how this will uh, end up ranking uh, with all the other rom-com films. So uh, the first category is romantic chemistry. So uh, one heart being the lowest, five hearts being like the best. Uh, Whitney told me the heart thing was cheesy, but I like it. I'm going with it. I like it. So, I think okay. you should. <laughs> so anyway, um, so the romantic chemistry between Wesley and Princess Buttercup, what, what do you give that? So I gave this one... I wasn't quite sure how these work. Like if each category I had to assign a number or if I could do each category on, on a scale. So I did both, but I gave romantic chemistry a four. Um, the farm scene at the beginning, I thought was just straight fire. Like, dang, these are two, one incredibly handsome, beautiful people uh, in an idyllic setting, but there really was kind of this sense of like, Nope, they have some real chemistry here. The scene where Wesley uh, lifts the pitcher off the hook and hands it to her, I thought was just uh, incredible. Um, some of the dialogue that was written for them, I think really just uh, helps with that. And then again, the, the as you wish just feels really true. And so I, I gave romantic chemistry a four, four hearts. Okay, so this is where we disagree a little bit. So I think this is a very romantic movie. As far as the chemistry between the different characters and the actors here, I, I give it two because okay. I, and not that I uh, don't like Robin Wright, uh, but like, this is where I blame the filmmakers. I don't think they give her anything to do. Like, I, I think we could, there. you could easily see anybody in this, in this role. I, I mean, we don't really know much about her at all. I think Wesley gets all, all the, you know, glory, so to speak, all the lines, all that. And so it doesn't take away from the romantic nature of this film, but as far as them together, I, you know, I, you know, it's like, I, I think that's, I think that's fair. Like, I think, if you stripped away the dialogue or if the dialogue wasn't as good, I think you're right. It probably doesn't hold up as well, but I think, I think their lines are so well written um, mm -hmm. that it, it does make it believable to me that, that they are two people in love. Yeah. Yeah. No. I, and I definitely, I, I definitely get that, but that, that was something, you know, I'm like, eh. but um, so, okay. Another component, the second category. And, and once again, this movie, some of these categories, it's going to be a little different, I think, compared to the other films on the list, but I always think the best friend or the supporting character element of romantic comedy always stands out. Uh, so I kind of worried about that category when I started this movie, but then I was like, Oh my gosh, like Inigo <laughs> and Fezzik. I mean, yeah, they're amazing best friends. I mean, they're really best friends to a point where they don't really even need to be. Uh, but anyway, uh, I'm cutting you off a little bit, but I had to give five stars to the best friend element here. No, I'm right there with you. I think, <laughs> um, one, Wesley never gets reunited with Princess Buttercup without these two guys. And so, you know, in a lot of traditional rom coms, the best friend is the naysayer or like, this isn't mm -hmm. going to work out or whatever. And these guys are just like, no, we're going to go on a quest. You know, we've, and, and granted part of it is selfish on Enyo's part. And, you know, Fezzik doesn't really have anything else going on. So it's just kind of like, whatever. But, um, 
I don't think the movie plays without those two guys as in that best friend spot. So I'm with you. Five hearts uh, for Fezzik and Inyo. Yeah, and uh, Wendy's going to make fun of me now because I said five stars, I think, instead of five hearts. So anyway. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so I think another element of a good romantic comedy is the soundtrack. So this is another one where, uh, you know, it, I, I, I don't, it's definitely more score dominated uh, than maybe some of the other films that will be on this list. Uh, and so but it's been fun because I'm actually going back and listening to the, the soundtrack. Um, so kind of a little background, uh, Mark Knopfler, he's the one who composed this and he's famous for being in the band Dire Straits. Um, and so I didn't know if you knew that or not, but nope. uh, um, yeah, but they have the, the hits uh, Money for Nothing and uh, Oh, there's another one that's real popular. Um, dun, 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 Walk of Life, I think it's called, or something <laughs> like. But anyway, so kind of one of those like rock star turned like composer, you know, uh, which is a trend you see in film sometimes. Yeah. So, um, but also with this, he has there's like a lot of not just romantic comedies, but a lot of films have the like actual song with vocals uh but especially in 80 you know 80s movie the right. the song that lines the credits in credits of this movie storybook love and it was actually nominated for best original song but really? uh, i don't know how, how do you feel about uh, this soundtrack i i feel like this might be a little bit of a hot take but i only give it one heart um I, there was nothing that memorable about the score for me except for like occasional trumpeting um and and so at the end like it was familiar because i've seen it so many times and it's you know nostalgic because of you know this just being with my childhood but there wasn't much that the score or soundtrack did for me in the actual actual movie so i don't know am i is that is that a hot take or or where did you how many hearts did you give this? Well, 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 listening to it again, I I ended up on two hearts. Uh, <laughs> it was uh, even as a you know because there are certain soundtracks that are just original scores that I could listen to all the time in the background. Uh, this isn't one of them. Uh, there's some uh, certain like melodies that you associate with the movie, especially at the beginning of, in the scene with. Uh, the farm ham and you know them and buttercup together like as you mentioned you know there's some of those elements uh even storybook love the song itself like it's nostalgic in the sense of like oh yeah this was like a song from an 80s movie but right. like as uh, actual like oh i would want to play that like it's not very high for me so yeah a lot of the soundtrack is like uh it, it's uh, like there's a scene where uh fezzik is i think it's fezzik uh, no, it's an ego trying to knock the door down. And like, as he's hitting the door, like the soundtrack kind of goes along with the actions of the right. movie. And it's, yeah, like you said, it's kind of, kind of cheesy. So yeah. Um, not, not too. Yeah. Uh, we're, we're lined up there. Um, okay, so uh, another, uh, another thing, this was the next category when I was thinking, I was like, Oh, I don't know how this plays into this film. I, I had a chase scene or a declaration of love, but then I laughed when this movie ended. Cause I was like, this whole movie is a chase scene and it, this whole movie is a declaration of love. So I had to give it five hearts. I, I don't know about you. Okay. Well, I agree with you on that point, but I was trying to think of what specific scene in the movie would I count as the declaration of love. Yeah. And I, I think I landed on the hilltop scene when Wesley is kind of just berating her. 
uh, for getting engaged to the prince. And then, you know, she pushes him down the hill and he yells out, as you wish. And she realizes very suddenly, which like, would you get it that quickly? Uh, that it's that it's her long lost lover. And then she flings herself as, you know, lovers do down the hill after him. And so I gave that a two. Okay. Because I, I just, as the, the dialogue is so sharp and so good in so many other places of the movie. In this one, it just felt very weird. And, and maybe this further supports your chemistry uh, argument, but like, it's not entirely clear why Wesley's being such a jerk other than he's mad that after five years when he was assumed dead, that she got on with her life. Um, he and, almost strikes her too. Yeah. I, I, yeah. <laughs> and like, it just, that, that part didn't age well. <laughs> and then, yeah, she pushes him down the hill. He reveals himself to be Wesley. And then she's like, cool, rather than sliding down the hill or walking down, I'm just going to violently fling myself to the bottom. And, and then they, they're at the bottom of the ravine and, you know, let's make out, but there's no bumps, no bruises, no broken bones. And so for, for what's supposed to be the big reveal, I, I just couldn't really get with it. Um, and so I, I give it two hearts. Okay. <laughs> but, it, but, but if I'm taking the long view, like you, I, I got to go with five. <laughs> um, and so uh, the last category, which I think always makes up not just a good movie, but especially romantic comedy, uh, rewatchability. What, what do you give it? Yeah, this one was easy. It's a five. Um, yeah, I agree. I mean, first of all, as we've talked about, it's just so funny and so quippy um, that you can come back to it time and time again and different stuff is going to pop out, which I think is a hallmark of a rewatchable movie. Um, it's also pretty self-aware which I really love. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think it allows, it allows the movie to just breathe differently and makes it fun. And then I didn't remember this at all in my, my head. This movie was much, much longer than what it really was. Uh, but it's, it's just 99 minutes. Uh, yeah. It's a tight film. They don't make too many movies like this anymore. So to be able to sit down and get in and out in less than two hours, uh, for kind of a sweeping fantasy story is pretty incredible. So yeah, that's, that's why I gave it a five. What about you? Yeah, for sure. Five, five hearts easy. So, and just almost watching it this time, just as a older adult kind of reiterated it like, Oh yeah, this movie really can span, you know, the generations like for sure. And so, um, well, well, that's great. I'll, 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 I'll gather those up, uh, on, our podcast episode page on the website. Uh, I'm putting kind of the ratings. Uh, I'll, I'll cobble mine together and I'm going to cobble our guests together to kind of see where it falls. So it'll be interesting to see. I think we can both agree that Princess Bride is a great movie just as a movie itself. Is 100%. it, is it a great romantic comedy? Uh, we'll, we'll kind of see where it ends up falling. <laughs> so. Yeah. I, I think that's a great question. I think as, as you've talked about, as we've kind of talked about, this movie could fall into a lot of different categories. Whereas some of the other movies on the ringers top 50 list can only fall in rom-com. Mm -hmm. I think princess bride could fall in a lot of different groups. So it'll be interesting to see what others think of it and how it, how it stacks up. Yeah. You can, you can almost see <clears throat> the office arguments like debating, you know, <laughs> it's place on this list. You I mean, know, so. technically, could you say this is a Christmas movie? Because in the opening scene, 
there's Christmas lights on the house across the street and grandpa comes in with a wrapped present. So, I mean, if, if, you know, the Christmas movie people want to really steal this one, I think the case could be made. (laughs) I I think we have enough Christmas movies. I don't want to lump this into into that. (laughs) Recommendations. Okay, so uh, for 2023, we have a new segment, uh, just recommendations. Uh, what What's one thing that you would recommend that you think uh, people should check out in the entertainment world? Sure. Um, I, like many others, am a big fan of Taylor Sheridan's work and oh, okay. have uh, immersed myself in the extended Yellowstone universe. And so I've been watching um, 1923. Oh, okay. I've really been enjoying it. Uh, much more than 1883 and at times more than than Yellowstone uh, itself. And so uh, it too has a great cast in it. Harrison Ford, Helen Mirren, um, a lot of that guys. Um, but, but I would recommend that um, particularly for the way that it, it treats that period of time, I think uh, really well. It also, uh, it is pretty hard to watch at times because of the way that they depict um, the Catholic church and their treatment of uh, native people, uh, especially girls, um, which is not always easy to watch, but our history isn't always easy to be reminded of. And so um, I think it's really good. And it too has a a romantic thread uh, that runs through part of the story. And I think those scenes in particular are where the show really shines. Okay. Awesome. No, good. Yeah. We, we have watched and still watching uh, Yellowstone, but we haven't dived into the other offshoots. Uh, um, I think Yellowstone is in particularly a little ridiculous, but that's a uh, part of the reason <laughs> that we enjoy Absolutely. it. But Absolutely. we have, we haven't, uh, we just haven't, it, it almost seems a little too much to kind of dive into those other worlds, despite the, the, immense talent that they've gathered for those offshoots, you know? So, yeah, yeah. I think, you know, with Yellowstone, it's kind of like season one, here's a bad guy who wants to take the ranch season two. Here's a couple more bad guys who want to take the ranch. And so it's just, I feel like it's, it's very well worn. And so one of the things I, I do appreciate about these prequels is that there's a little bit more adventure and there's a little bit more room for depth mm-hmm. of character. Yeah. Um, 1883 was good. I was I was surprised by how good Tim McGraw and Faith Hill's performances were, but it's also like crazy bleak. Um, 1923 is still fairly bleak, but it but it does. I think those elements of romance give it uh, hope, which is why I I like it more than uh, probably the other things in the again the extended Yellowstone universe. Yeah, I, I I'm a little tired of the number titles. Uh, they're gonna <laughs> they're gonna start. They need to at least have it like, you know, 1923 colon something like, sure. because yeah, not just with the Yellowstone universe, but with other uh, films that are out there, you know, even like 1917 from not to, you know, we're all going to lose track of these at some point, but, uh, <laughs> but yeah. Um, my quick recommendation is actually uh, the memoir uh, by Matthew Perry friends, lovers, and the big, terrible thing. Uh, and so I actually listened to this, uh, checked it out through the library, which I almost like, I mean, always think reading a book is great, but I think it's enhanced by the audiobook because Matthew Perry reads it himself, you know? Oh, so cool. yeah. Um, and man, I mean, 
it's intense. It's, it's revealing. Uh, I just, I found it a pretty, uh, interesting, although maybe not totally surprising, but, um, you know, he, he lays it all out there for sure. And it's almost an interesting memoir with he, not that he's trying to make an argument that he is a good guy, but he definitely doesn't shy away um, from his faults and misgivings and stuff. And so it's very, just a very candid look, but it's definitely, uh, once you get through it, you, it's, you definitely want to talk about it with other people. So, uh, I, I, I recommend checking that out. Um, I, he, it, when it released, it was all over. I mean, he was on every talk show that was out there and stuff. So you're a little bit kind of like us, you know, is this book like actually good or is this just really driven by PR? And it's, right. it's a book that's pretty fascinating, especially um, if you've been a fan of his acting work and uh, friends in particular. So uh, anyway, I recommend that. So, well, um, well, I appreciate you uh, once again, taking the time to come on and uh, watch the movie and talk about this movie again. So it's, Absolutely. it's a lot of fun. Thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah, definitely. It's definitely a lot of fun to revisit um, movies you love. And so thank you for giving me the opportunity to do that and for having me on. Yeah, no, of course. Um, and uh, for next week, we're actually uh, almost kind of unexpectedly, we're going to take a little break from the list because uh, I always like to be in uh, conversation when it comes to certain movies. And the, this one movie had just been popping up a lot with my friends talking about it. And I checked it out as well. And I, it's just one of those films that, is almost better just because of the conversation it elicits. But I'm talking about this uh, film that came out last fall, The Menu. Have you seen the movie? I just watched it last week. Yes. Oh, okay. <laughs> so great. Yeah. Uh, so you'll be anticipating the podcast, but uh, Absolutely. Wouldn't, you, wouldn't you agree it's a good one to talk about? I think so. Especially I went in blind and so I assumed it was going to be one kind of movie. And when it, didn't turn out to be that way and became this <laughs> different kind of movie. Um, it was really thrilling. Um, but as someone who loves like chef's table, uh, I also felt a little bit called out by this movie. <laughs> so no, I think this, it's a great movie to have lots of different kinds of conversations. So I'll be looking forward to that episode. Yeah, no, uh, yeah, it, it'll be a fun one to talk about. Uh, so yeah, um, I just want to thank everyone for listening. Uh, and remember that I included in the show notes. So if you're, listening to your uh listen to your podcast there's always a description click on the show notes and there's a link where you can support the podcast uh this podcast has been a blast to do but it helps to have some financial support to keep things running so if you're inclined to do so click on the link and give we would really appreciate it michael thanks again for coming on thank you that was a lot of fun yeah it was awesome that was great sure thing have a great weekend okay you too bye man bye